Hello and welcome back to It's All Relative, the show where we talk about murder and families. You want to focus on the why behind the what. This is the last in the series about Betsy and Russ Faria and Betsy's murder. If you have not listened to the first two episodes in this series, I strongly suggest you go back and listen to them. I'll still be here waiting for you in about an hour, so go ahead. Otherwise, I'm Kaylee, your host. And please remember, this is a show about true crime. We talk about some disturbing things, so don't listen if you think those things might disturb you. But before I get started, I would like to let Mr. Kenny Loggins remind you of something important. know by now that Russ did not actually commit this murder. And the important part here is that yes, it started out as a very classic, or at least could have easily been the classic husband kills wife scenario. But poor Russ was failed at practically every turn in this investigation, in his prosecution. Betsy was failed in terms of who, you know, catching her killer and getting justice for her. And the Faria family was destroyed. The Farias had two daughters. Granted, people may point out that the two daughters were not actually Russ's, that he was their stepfather. But to Russ, and at least to the youngest, Mariah, he was her dad. And he felt about those girls like they were his own. But by the end of his conviction... They were convinced he had killed their mother, and that had ripped the family apart. So this needs to be a cautionary tale. I need all you guys to listen, because what happened in this case, from Russ's standpoint, from the defendant's standpoint, we all need to be on guard for at all times. A lot of people have been taught to believe in the system, to believe that the police are going to get the bad guys, that the lawyers are going to do their job and they're going to prosecute the bad guys and put them in jail. You know, the defense is going to defend me and I'm going to get off if I happen to be the innocent one accused. The problem with this is there are so many flaws in that theory, especially when you come to cases like the Faria's. First of all, we have the 911 call. Now, the 911 call was considered suspicious because if you listen to it, he is freaking hysterical. And to be honest with you, it is really hard to listen to because the frequency of his cries and his voice is that level at which it just makes me cringe because he is in such pain. It doesn't make me sad, but it makes me so, there is so much pity, it almost hurts. At the same time, there is a tiny little twinge of it almost being not real, which is what the police and the investigators honed in on and said, this doesn't sound right. In court, the 911 supervisor testified and said that she did find it weird that he would stop and calm down and say things and then go back to being hysterical. 
the jury was led to believe that even the 911 operator did not believe him. However, for some weird reason, and I don't know exactly why, but there were a lot of things going on in this case, so it's entirely possible that Schwartz just never, Schwartz being Russ's attorney, he was fighting against so many things, he either missed this, or he just decided that with all the other things he has to worry about, it was low on his list of things to combat. The 911 operator herself was never contacted, was never asked to testify. She actually did a television interview with Chris Hayes from Fox after the conviction, around the time of Russ's appeal trial, and this is what she said. But the prosecution never called the operator who took the call, Tammy Vaughn, who says she never questioned it. You can't fake that. You can't fake that emotion. In my, in my personal opinion, you can't. Um, are there people out there that can do it? I don't know because I've, all the calls that I've taken have been true hysterical callers. Vaughn says 911 operators are expected to get hysterical callers to answer questions. It's a redirection. It's a technique that communicators use to try to redirect, calm them down, ask them the question, and then whenever they have to focus back on the victim or the patient or the person that is, that's there that's needing the help, then, then they do what's called a refreak. It happened repeatedly on the Faria call. Leah Askey, the prosecutor in this case, did not believe in him. She was one of the people that thought that the 911 call was actually performance, not real. And I'm going to let you hear what Keith Morrison said in his interview with her. And now, here he was, teetering between answering questions and weeping uncontrollably. It was that intensity that caught the prosecutor's attention. <laughs> to her, he looked fake. Oh, God. He appeared to be sobbing and really hysterical whenever the detective would step out of the room, but never did he have any tears, never did he need a Kleenex or wipe his nose. I would love to think I could cry and not need a Kleenex. Need some Kleenex or something, man? She must have missed this part of the interview. The second and even larger line of defense for the accused, in this case, Russ, should have been the investigators. Now, they actually formed a task force on this thing, and I have to think, holy shit, how do you get that many people if I remember correctly, there were like 40 some odd people, but let's say it was even 30. I mean, 30, that's still a lot of people investigating this thing. How do you get it so fucking wrong? The investigators on this case started out correct, okay? He sounded suspicious in the 911 call. It is extremely common for husbands to kill wives when a woman is murdered. She had 50 some odd stab wounds. Um, he was claiming suicide, and yet they knew it was a suicide. So all of this looks a bit suspicious. They need to check it out. That is completely accurate. That is correct. That is what they should have done. However, somewhere along the line, they decided that Russ was guilty, and it didn't matter what the evidence said. They were going to prove 
that Russ was guilty. This is called a lot of different things, but confirmation bias. So basically any information you get that actually confirms your theory is correct in confirmation bias. And anything that doesn't fit your theory, you ignore, you throw away, you hide, you do it. It doesn't matter because you know that this guy is guilty. For those of us who have any sort of like research background, scientific background, you know, and scientists have this problem at times too, confirmation bias. You know that you cannot do that because if you want to get the actual real result, if you're looking for the answer to a question, then you have to look at the evidence, regardless of your original theory, you have to look at the evidence and then go where that leads. Somehow this did not happen to the point that they made up evidence. For instance, the polygraph test up till this date, we don't know whether Russ was actually given a real polygraph test or not. It is completely legal for investigators to give you a polygraph. It is also legal to, for them to give you a false polygraph or a pseudo polygraph because polygraphs are not admissible in court. They are just a technique for you as an investigator to be able to put pressure on the person who you are investigating. Therefore, it doesn't really matter whether this is real or not. Plus, remember, again, they can lie to you. It is legal for them to lie to you. Good investigators will use this as a technique to try to elicit information out of the people they are interviewing. However, traditionally, and I mean traditionally in terms of every bad cop you can think of, every bad cop movie, every corrupt cop movie, everything you can think of where they have basically scared the shit out of them to get them to confess, good cop, bad cop stuff. That's traditionally the way this has been used. If they give you this false polygraph, this pseudo polygraph, the thing is in the investigation, if you, if you actually charge that person and that person you have been investigating is taken to trial, you as investigators and then also the prosecution is required to give that information to the defense team so they know whether it was a real polygraph or a false one. You know, polygraphs are not admissible in court. There's a lot of reasons why it's not admissible. But again, it can also be used as a tool and the defense team can also use it as a tool. So they need to know whether he failed or passed the polygraph if it was real or not. Because if it wasn't even a real polygraph, then it's completely a moot point. Now, the polygraph does not come up in trial, but it is used by the investigators and the prosecution to continue to push in investigating Russ. It is their reason he failed the polygraph. He failed 100% according to the polygraph investigator. Okay, 100%, which is not a thing. That's not even, you cannot fail. You Even in a real polygraph, there's no way you can fail it 100%. It's, you can't fail, you can't pass it 100. I mean, it's, there's no, that's not a thing. Oh my God, best evidence ever. This is from MissouriLawyers.com. Five reasons a polygraph test may not be accurate. And this was done April 14th of 2014. While the technology is increasingly used to screen candidates for federal employment and to pursue criminals, some scientists believe flat out 
Polygraph tests are ineffective for determining whether or not a subject is telling the truth. Wherever you fall on the spectrum of confidence, it is important to understand the way polygraphs work and to recognize the role the technology plays in the legal system. And I love it. The, down further it says, the Pinocchio response yet to be identified. Despite the widespread use of polygraph testing and belief among the population that the technology works, there is no obvious metric available mimicking Pinocchio's volatile growing nose. That's hilarious. So it is my suspicion that it wasn't even a real polygraph, and yet they are still pushing everybody into thinking that Ross had killed Betsy. But then they cannot produce. They did produce the report, I believe I mentioned in last episode or the episode before that it wasn't produced. It was produced. The report itself was reproduced, was produced. Um, and it said that the polygraph examiner said that there was significant evidence of deception by Rasperia. However, they could not, the investigators could not produce anything but that. They couldn't produce the readout, which they should be able to produce, whether it was, you know, the old fashioned, you know, screeching lines on a piece of paper or the modern on a computer that, you know, or computer file that produced the results, showed his, you know, his heart rate, his responses. There should have been a video because they're supposed to be recording this. There should have been audio. According to all of the investigators, the video camera and thus the audio in that room failed. All that was given to the defense was this report written out by the examiner. There are the photos, 132 photos apparently, because they did find them later. There were 132 photos that supposedly showed a blood trail or the evidence of cleaning of a blood trail from the living room to the kitchen, supposedly proving that Russ cleaned up the mess and again, further supporting that Russ killed Betsy. These photos supposedly did not turn out. There was a malfunction with the camera is what they're saying in court. Unfortunately, it sounds, I mean, they said all that would have shown up is black. So to me, that sounds like you just left the fucking lens cap on. But regardless, the point being that they did find them, they did turn out, and there's nothing there. The pictures show absolutely nothing. I mean, not nothing as in black, but nothing as in there's the kitchen floor, and it looks like a kitchen floor. Schwartz uh, taking those out in the courtroom and showing them that they, he actually found them is actually quite, um, it's actually really funny. Those photos, by the way, were taken and testified to in court by Detective Merkel. As soon as the second trial went through and Russ was acquitted, there is an order for all of the evidence in the Russell Faria slash Betsy Faria case to be destroyed. It was not carried out, thank God, because they need to prosecute the actual person who did it. And it was signed by, guess who? Detective Merkel's wife. Now we're gonna get into the crux of the matter. For whatever reason, Investigators talked to Pam Hupp, who was the last person to see Betsy. She drove her home after chemo. 
I am not going to do a whole episode or actually probably episode them because it's outside the purview of this podcast. And frankly, so many people have done a far better job than I ever could. And I will list some of those later on that I'm going to leave it there. However, I'm going to say that Pam, when she was interviewed by the investigators the next morning, they came to see her at something like six o'clock in the morning. She had just taken a shower and told them she had taken a shower the night before. Two showers. Yeah. She gave them an accounting of what happened, saying she never went in the house. Then as they were talking, she said, well, actually I did go in the house, but it was only for like five minutes and I didn't go past the doorway. And then they're talking some more and she says, well, actually Betsy wanted to show me this. So I did go in the house a little further. I went in the living room and then it's like, well, I was there like 15 minutes. And then she showed me this jewelry box and that, you know, I mean, her story changed a lot in trial. She should have been at least interviewed and been allowed to be interviewed for her prior inconsistent statements because her story changed a lot. In fact, the next time they saw Pam, when she, you know, when they went to talk to her husband, she sat in on the interview with her husband, which is really weird. And then she started to tell different stories yet again. So this woman is changing her story like on a five minute basis. She should have been interviewed. The judge decided that she could not be interviewed. Why you may ask? From my readings of this case, I'm just going to say Judge Kunza Minemeyer is probably just inept. I don't think she's corrupt. I don't think, other than maybe trusting her friend Leah Eski a little bit too much, she does tend to lose things in the courtroom a little bit more than I would like. But in general, I mean, that kind of goes to her ineptness. So prosecutors convinced the judge that she could not be interviewed beyond a certain tiny little bit. They couldn't interview her further because there was no direct evidence pointing to her involvement in the crime. The problem is that there's no direct evidence because the investigators never actually investigated that. And secondly, the prosecutor should have looked at that and said, you know what, this is a possibility. This could come back to bite us. I need you to investigate her further to make sure there's nothing there that could undermine our case against Resferia or ultimately, you know, show that she actually did the crime. Prosecutor didn't do that. And on top of that, I will like to add that there really was no direct evidence that Rosferia committed the crime because what they had was circumstantial and actually like, like could blow away with the wind circumstantial. So Pam Hupp, and I'm going to tell you this right now, she has been arrested very recently for the murder of Betsy Faria. So yes, as far as we know, she committed the crime. It is still alleged because it has not been determined. But like I said, look her up, listen to the stories on this woman. There is a whole mini series starring Renee Zellweger, which is actually really good. Although I would say yeah, it's a bit tongue in cheek. It's a little bit snarky and tiny bit over the top, but you know, actually not too far, sadly. Let's go back to that prosecutor, Leah Askey, who 
Honestly, I'd love to give her the benefit of the doubt. But here's a little bit more of that interview she had with Keith Morrison. You must have looked back and said, well, wait a minute, this woman has been telling different stories for years, and she is the last person to see her alive. Maybe we ought to change direction here. You didn't think that? Well, it's not my place to change the direction, but what I did it do is It is totally say, your place to change the direction. That's what you do. You're a prosecutor. You decide who to charge and who not to charge. Based on what's brought to me. The following is from a statement that the judge made in the ruling for Russ's appeal case. And I quote, The investigation into the facts and theories of this case by law enforcement is rather disturbing and frankly raised more questions than answers. Inconsistencies and or lies do not equate to murder where the hard facts do not support the conclusion, but rather support speculation, innuendo, and supposition only. Unfortunately, the hard facts alone are insufficient to give a clear resolution to this messy case. End quote. To this, Leah Askey had to say, and this is from the unsolved murder of Betsy Faria, I quote, Leah Askey refused to accept that her conduct had been wrong. She issued a statement after Russ had his sentence overturned, which stated, while I believe in our justice system, I disagree with this verdict. My condolences go out to Betsy Faria's family. Her inflammatory comment lacked both empathy and sympathy for Russ's plight. End quote. It is my understanding that the prosecutor takes to trial, and she has said this, and she's right, the prosecutor takes to trial the case against somebody based on the evidence she's given. However, she 100% has the right to say, this is not enough evidence. I refuse to take this trial. Number two, I need you to go back and get some more evidence because this is not enough. And she didn't do that, which is, she says that's not her job. It is her job because she's the prosecutor. She has to make sure that there's enough evidence to convict and that she's trying to convict the correct people. Let's talk about Russ's lawyer. He actually did a really good job. Unfortunately, his hands were tied behind his back and one leg was shackled. But he offered evidence of proof a lot, which means that basically he got to interview Pam and other witnesses. They went on the court record, it went in the official documents, but the jury did not get to hear. So what that means is that if he loses this trial, which they ultimately did, Joel Schwartz knew that this would go in the corporate document. You know, this is all information that at least the appeal court could look at. On top of that, the jury didn't get to hear any of this stuff. So the jury actually afterwards, when they found out that there were things that they couldn't get to hear, like the fact that Pam had somehow convinced Betsy. Now, granted, Pam had allegedly been accused of forging documents for the insurance company she worked for years previously. So it is entirely possible that she somehow tricked or forged Betsy's signature on these documents. But Betsy had signed over, supposedly, her life insurance policy to Pam as the beneficiary. Pam was supposedly... This is one of the things that one of her stories that changed, I don't know how many times, but initially Pam said that she had 
Betsy had asked her to do that because she wasn't sure that either the girls or Russ would be financially smart. And so she wanted Pam to oversee that money and dole it out to her girls as they got to a point where they needed it and could be, you know, and could actually be smart about the money. Of course, Pam didn't do this. The girls actually had to sue her and unfortunately they lost the lawsuit. Again, please look at all the stuff about Pam Hupp. You will just, your jaw will drop to the floor. This woman is batshit. However, the jury didn't get to hear any of that as a motive, as a potential motive for killing. And they said that if they had heard that, that may have changed their minds. However, I would like to say as they were interviewed after the initial trial and when Russ was going through his appeal, they were interviewed and this is what they said. Jurors began deliberations with a split vote, six to six. Then it was ten to two guilty, with Debbie Bray holding out. I didn't think there was enough evidence to convict, like how we were supposed to, but we did a lot of kind of filling in the blanks. As the blanks were being filled in, my mind was starting to change. And interviewing there was Chris Hayes from Fox News. I would like to say that it is not the job of the jury. It is not 100% not the job of the jury to be filling in evidence. The evidence is there or it's not. And if it's not, then the jury cannot vote to convict. And yet they did it anyway. That is a fucking failure in the system. The prosecution did not meet the burden of proof. I'm sorry, they didn't. And it, if, I don't know how the judge could not fucking see that, but the judge should have overturned the conviction, unless that is not a thing in Missouri. It is my understanding that one of the fundamental tenets of being a judge is to decide whether the prosecution has met the burden of proof. And at some point in the trial, the judge should have said, you have not met your burden of proof, this is over. That did not happen. The jury should not have fucking made up the evidence. And it is appalling that they even thought that they could do that. The point of this whole thing should have been to get justice for Betsy. Instead, an entire family was destroyed. After Russ was acquitted, it was too late for the family. The girls, over time, they came to understand that he was innocent. And they also came to understand that Pam Hop probably killed their mother and that they had been manipulated by so many people during the trials. Leah and Mariah have only recently spoken out in the media about their ordeal, about how their lives were changed back then and how they are today. Recently, yet again, Chris Hayes had an interview with them for Fox 2. The following recording comes from that interview. It was a time where I was supposed to figure out my next steps in the world and then I got my whole world shaken up when my mom passed away and I basically lost my father in the process. They told me if I were not to talk during the trial, they were going to have to subpoena me and Leah Askey told me I would not like that. Leah and Mariah said the former prosecutor and former Lincoln County investigators told them their stepdad, who's exonerated today, was the only possible killer. 
she really wanted to see my mom that day, what about Pam Hupp? And they always had a snarky response. It kind of made me feel stupid for asking. So as a 17-year-old, just kind of trying to figure out this whole process, they just made my feelings feel invalid. We had police conspiring to keep us from Russ and Pam sending us letters, keeping us kind of against him. As a teenager and a person who's grieving their mother, um, it's really hard to wrap your head around all of the whole process. They also broke our family apart and not only did we lose our mom, we lost both of our parents because of their investigation. If there's something I could say to Russ, it would be um, at the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry for all the things you went through. <laughs> if I could go back, I would, but I can't change the past, so we can just move forward and hope for justice. We are very strong women, and we have our own beautiful families that we've grown, and life could not be better at the moment. Sometimes you can't mend fences. Sometimes when something's broken, there's no way to fix it. But I do hope that if nothing else, Russ Faria and Mariah and Leah, his two daughters, can find a way to at least find happiness in the fact that all three of them have been able to go on with their life and still find a good place in life. And I hope that Betsy does get justice. If you want to know more about Pam Hupp, like I said, there is a miniseries starring Renee Zellweger. It's called The Thing About Pam. There is a podcast series from Dateline. There are also several Dateline episodes about the whole Betsy Faria case. Several of them are not available right now, so it may be hard to get them, but keep looking. They'll probably pop back up again at some point. And there's also the book by Joel Schwartz, which not only covers the Betsy Faria case, it does go on to detail the further insanity of Pam Hupp. That was the last episode in the Faria series. Next week, we'll probably be doing an NPC episode. And the following week, we should be able to get back to the regular It's All Relative series. I'm going to say goodbye with a little bit of deep blue something and breakfast at Tiffany's. <laughs>